Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, Lord, what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord, and you say thanks be to God. We've been going through a, the, the Apostles' Creed each and every week. We've been just walking through the next section of the, the Creed. The Creed is the most ancient summary of our faith. It dates back to like 2nd century. It's super old, uh, before many of the um, councils and everything. It was, it was circulating at that time. And we come to this line this week that is probably, if you have no exposure to Christianity, if you just go into a, a, if you imagine Somerville has never heard of Jesus and has no exposure to Christianity, and you're explaining what you believe, and then you say, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, and they're going to say, this is where it's getting weird. The Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? In fact, we used to call it the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most mysterious aspect of the Christian faith. He's also one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith. And the Holy Spirit is also one of the most abused aspects of the Christian faith. There are televangelists who use their, their uh, direct correspondence with the Holy Spirit to deceive. There are these people who sit in TV studios and convince grandmothers and susceptible people to send them their social security checks. They deceive millions and they become millionaires in the process. And they are abusing the Holy Spirit. And unless they repent of those sins, Jesus is going to have some very strong words about what they did in his name, modern-day Pharisees. There are others who abuse the Spirit in other ways, though, and, and this is one that we might be more guilty of. But there are many who baptize their own desires in the will of the Spirit, who decide that they want something or to do something, and so what do they do? They say, God told me. And I always want to ask, well, what was that like? Did you hear his voice? Did it, was it deep? Like, what, what was it like when he told you that? And there is a such thing as the Lord impressing things upon us. But this can get very twisted and distorted. I have a friend who was a pastor who cheated on his wife, left his family, and all because he felt like it was the will of the Spirit. He didn't think that God disapproved because he was miserable in his marriage. We abuse the Spirit. But you know, an even more common abuse of the Holy Spirit is the most simple abuse of the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us is guilty of in one way or another. But we abuse the Holy Spirit when we completely neglect Him. 
when we live our lives as if he did not exist, when we ignore him completely. When was the last time you considered the work of the Spirit in your own life? Francis Chan has a book. Uh, he's a pastor in California, or at least he used to be. I'm not sure what he's doing now. He, he's kind of a... He, he, he went and was a missionary somewhere. I heard he came back. I don't know what's happening. Um, but he was a, a pastor in California when he wrote a book called Forgotten God because he believed that the Spirit was the forgotten member of the Trinity. And I'm convinced that many churches, when they teach and preach on the Apostles' Creed, will get to this line that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That we'll say this, these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then pretend like he doesn't exist. Pretend as though he's not with us. And here's a harsh truth, and it's one that's, that is real, is that you can even plant a church and grow a church without the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan talks about this in his book, and he, he talks about how if you have a gifted communicator and a talented band and a few hip events and some communication and let, letting people know, you can grow a church. And I've seen it happen. But is the Holy Spirit present? Here's a hard question for us today. If the Holy Spirit abandoned you this afternoon, how long would it take you to notice? If the Holy Spirit abandoned you, how long would it take you to notice? Do you live a self-dependent life? How long would it take us as a church to notice? Or will we continue to do things that we're doing just because we've always done them? A.W. Tozer has this great quote about this. He, he puts it like this. He says, We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. Oof. Ow. Countless churches and Christians have done this. We've produced cheap synthetic power to substitute for the power of God instead of praying. Churches spend all their time setting up the lights just right, picking just the right emotional songs, and manipulating people into false encounters with the Lord. I heard this one story one time about a worship leader in the 90s named Rich Mullins. Does anybody, has anybody heard of Rich Mullins? All right, all six of us. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. Great, great dude. Um, great worship leader, songwriter. Um, very influential. If you haven't heard of Rich Mullins, he's influenced the people you have heard of. We'll put it that way. Rich Mullins uh, was leading worship somewhere, and when he got down, he, he was talking with someone, and they said, I really, I really felt the Holy Spirit at this point in the song. It was really powerful. And he said, no, that's actually where the drums and the bass come in. So that might have had something to do with what you were feeling. We manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so here's my question for you today, church, is this. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? We say it in the confession, I believe the Holy Spirit, but do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Because to believe in the Holy Spirit in a saving way, in a real way, not merely acknowledging that He exists, but in a real way, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Earlier this week, I was writing a sermon on the Holy Spirit, and it was awesome. It was like, who is He? What does He do? Let's look at all these scriptures. I had to collect it. It would be a really nice seminary lecture, but it was not a sermon. And so I went back and I scrapped and I said, I just want to invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear from the word of the Lord. I want you to know who he is. And maybe I can teach that class one day on all the different references to the Holy Spirit in the New and Old Testament. I think a lot of people would really enjoy that. But I want to just invite you today to to experience him, to draw near to him, to be filled with him. So let's, let's dive in. To the scriptures and look at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to start in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Acts chapter 1. It's where we were last week. Last week we talked about Jesus. He ascended, seated, and will judge. That's what last week's part of the confession was all about. And so this week we're going to pick up pretty much where we left off at the very first coming of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus is about ready to go back into heaven. He's got his disciples here, and he gives them his last words. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this passage is often used as a missionary passage, and it is that, sending his disciples on mission to make disciples of all the earth. But don't miss the first part where he says, you will receive power when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And after this, Jesus ascends into heaven. Angels show up. They, tell, they explain to the disciples what has happened, and then they wait because it hasn't happened yet. And they're waiting. And in Acts chapter 2, they're still waiting and they're all together in one place. Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, in the Old Testament, the fire represents the presence of God. But you cannot come into the presence of God throughout the Old Testament. The fire in the burning bush the fire on the candle stands inside the temple, but you cannot go into the Holy of Holies. But now the fire, the presence of God is dwelling with his people. Tongues of fire, tongues as if fire, resting on people's heads. The Spirit of God has come. Can you imagine this powerful experience when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, Acts is a little harder to interpret for many of us. It's harder to apply, at least, because, like, what's happening in Acts? Acts is a recorded history of the early church. So we can't use everything in Acts as prescriptive for how we are to live our lives 
because Acts is a descriptive book, not a prescriptive book. There's some prescriptive things, but for the most part, it's describing what happened. And what happened in Acts 2 is special. It's just special. We can't expect it to happen like that to us all the time anymore. But Paul and the New Testament writers certainly still want us to be filled with the Spirit. Here's how we know. Ephesians chapter 5 and several other places, but let's camp out in Ephesians chapter 5 where we read the Scripture earlier. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Man, sometimes the Bible just throws in those words. You're like, debauchery? I haven't heard that one in a long time. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All three members of the Trinity are found in this very short passage. And the comparison that he draws here is really stark, isn't it? He compares being filled with the Spirit to being filled with liquor, to being filled with alcohol. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Do not be filled with wine. In some countries, they still call it that. I feel full. I think in, in Russia, uh, it's, it's not drunk, but full. Or maybe, I don't remember what country that is. It is a country where they say I'm full. And it's odd, but it's really key, because we have to think about this. Why do people get drunk? Why do people get drunk? I'm sure there's plenty of reasons, but one of the main reasons that people get drunk, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about drinking in moderation. That's not the same thing as getting drunk. Jesus is often drinking wine. He's making wine. That's not what this is talking about. He says don't get drunk with wine. And why are people getting drunk? They're getting drunk because they're escaping life. They're escaping the realities of life. Ephesians 5, verse 16, it says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Where do you turn when the days are evil? When you're overwhelmed and depressed and anxious, when you just want to enjoy and not worry about normal life. People use alcohol as a crutch to escape the realities of life. And so Paul says, don't turn to the bottle to solve your problems, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Over the past year, it's been really hard. The days have been evil, and the alcohol sales have never been higher. Record sales in every type of alcohol over the past year. Gone through the roof. And I don't mean this in a condemning way. I mean this in an, in an invitational kind of way. But over the past year, have you been more full of the Spirit or more full of alcohol? And I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. What I want to say is be filled with the Spirit because there's more joy to be had. There's more joy to be had in that. Alcohol is not the only thing that can prevent us from being filled with the Spirit. Basically, I think that what Paul is getting at here 
is if you're full of worldly pleasure, you cannot be full of the Spirit. If you're full of worldly pleasure, you cannot be full of the Spirit. You cannot be, this is one that I've been teaching myself, and this has actually been really hard because I think that I've influenced others in this direction. My own snarkiness and my own cynicalness and I've realized that you cannot be full of bitterness and full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. That the bitterness will ch choke it out. And for some reason, being bitter, we find joy in our anger and in our hurt. But hurt that's left unchecked becomes this bitterness that prevents us from loving one another, from caring for one another. You cannot be full of lust and be full of the Spirit. It's a competing joy, a competing love. You cannot be full of materialism and full of the Spirit. You cannot be full of a smug self-righteousness and full of the Spirit. Friends, Satan is using these worldly pleasures to leave you half empty. He wants you to feel full. It's an optical illusion. You feel full when you use them, but your soul is starving for more. And so you try to eat more, and it's like cotton candy. Like, you just can't, you can't fill up on it. It tastes so good, but you, it leaves you with no substance. Satan is using these worldly pleasures to convince you that you're full, that you, that you don't need anything else, but it's leaving you half empty, if not completely empty, and you're not full of the Spirit. But God is inviting you, church. He's inviting you to be full of the Spirit, to depend upon Him, and to know that there's greater joy to be had. To be full of the Spirit simply means this. It means that you take joy in the presence of the Lord. It means that you see Him face to face. It means that you're seeking Him and that He has filled you with His joy. It's to be satisfied in God. To delight in God. To hunger and thirst for Him. Our hearts are often so preoccupied by less satisfying loves that we forget to be filled with the Spirit. You know, that's one of Satan's best weapons is forgetfulness. Distraction. We don't give ourselves time or space. And so what does Paul tell us to do? He tells us to take off our old selves and put on the new self. And friends, it's an invitation to repent. Repentance is beautiful. But it's not a, a condemnation. I hope you see the difference. I'm inviting you to something different, something better. When you're full of the Spirit, what do you do? He lines it out. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, these are the things that result from being filled with the Spirit, and they are good. These are, how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? You're doing these things. What does he say? He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? You're singing, you're joyful, you're giving thanks, you're praying, and you're loving others, you're submitting to each other. I mean, think about the movies. I think that, again, the, the illustration between drunkenness and spirit is, is, is interesting here. Because in the movies, after people get full of alcohol, what do they start doing? They start singing. That's what happens in the movies, right? Christians are the only ones who start singing before we start drinking. All right? We, we sing, and then we take communion. It goes in the opposite direction for us. But church, when we're full of the Spirit... Our joy can exceed the world and does exceed the world. When the church is full of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord exceeds any joy that the world can offer. You need to be reminded of that this week. Let's be a church that's full of the Spirit. Let's be a church. Now, Romans 8 teaches us, we read this earlier during our confession, that all, spirit, all Christians are indwelled with the Spirit, that we all have the Spirit in us. Because Jesus has died for our sins, and because He's been risen to new life, if we trust in His completed work, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. But I don't think that that's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about being full of the Spirit. I think that he's talking about a spectacular delight in the presence of God. All Christians have the Spirit. Not all Christians are currently full of the Spirit. Being full of the Spirit ebbs and flows, I do believe. To be filled with the Spirit is to lean into your relationship with Jesus, to enjoy the presence of God, to delight in God. And so how do you do that? How do you lean into that? How do you follow that? How are you filled with the Spirit? I've seen people do all kinds of funky things, all right? I've seen people treat it like there's, they have to say, you know, a, a magic incantation to be full of the Spirit. And that's just nowhere in the Scripture. In the Spirit, in, in the Scripture, people are full of the Spirit all the time. You read the scriptures. I want you to read the scriptures and pay attention to how often it says this is a person full of the Spirit. Who do you know in your life that's full of the Spirit? Who does the things that we just talked about? Who has the evidences, the fruit of the Spirit welling up within them? And the pathway to be filled with the Spirit isn't a magic incantation. It isn't saying the exact right prayer words or drumming up an emotional response. The pathway to being filled with the Spirit is simple. Faith and repentance and prayer. So simple, yet so hard often for us. Repentance, we've already talked about this a bit, but you have to turn from worldly distraction to be filled with the Spirit. But faith, I want you to pick up on this. The pathway to being filled with the Spirit is paved by faith. Those who are full of faith are also full of the Spirit. Those just go together. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, they're choosing deacons. Stephen is recognized as like the lead deacon, and it says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Those go together, being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, full of trust, dependence. It means you're full of the Holy Spirit. And prayer. 
You have to talk to the Lord and seek His joy. It looks different to different people. I can tell you that over the past couple of weeks, there have been many times when I felt full of the Holy Spirit. This isn't, it, it, it should be normative, normal for Christians, okay? This isn't the extra normal time. Normal Christian life filled with the Spirit. Oftentimes when I'm feeling full of the Spirit, I have my Bible open, and I'm just really enjoying what God's teaching me. Oftentimes it's just, hey, I'm gonna, I, I woke up, I'm going to have more patience with my kids today. And I'm going to, because God has been so kind to me, I'm listening to his songs. It doesn't have anything to do with necessarily reading the Bible at certain times. But it is fueled by that oftentimes. And as we come to the scriptures, they do encourage us. Some some of you just need that time to say, hey, I'm going to sit down and seek the Lord. I'm going to sit down and read my scriptures because it will satisfy me. He will satisfy me. Has a tongue come down, tongue of fire come down from heaven and sat on my head? Not that I know of. I don't have third-party vision there. But I have felt full of the Spirit. I know many of you have as well. And while many times it is normal, it also can look quite miraculous at times. I want to end with an example of, a, of the Holy Spirit filling a church. William Blair was a missionary uh, to Korea. He was a, a Presbyterian missionary in 1907, and he recorded this story. And uh, let me tell you something. I love Presbyterians. I became this close to becoming a Presbyterian when I was in college. But Presbyterians are not known for their lively belief in the Holy Spirit. They're not known for their life. Anybody grow up Presbyterian? Maybe a few. They're not known for their, you know, raucous worship gatherings. In fact, a, a Presbyterian worship gathering, it's so dry, it can make beef jerky look a little juicy at times. But such good theology, such good people. I love Presbyterians. Hear what he has to say. This isn't some emotional drum up. This is a little bit of a longer story. I'm just going to read this to you because I think it's amazing. I wish to describe the Tuesday night meeting in my own language because a part of what happened concerned me personally. We were aware that bad feeling existed between several of our church officers, especially between a Mr. Kang and Mr. Kim. Mr. Kang confessed his hatred for Mr. Kim on Monday night, but Mr. Kim was silent. At our noon prayer meeting on Tuesday, several of us agreed to pray for Mr. Kim. I was especially interested because Mr. Mr. Kang was my assistant in the North Pyongyang Church, and Mr. Kim, an elder in the Central Church, and one of the officers in Pyongyang's Men's Association, of which I was a chairman. As the meeting progressed, I could see Mr. Kim sitting with elders behind the pulpit with his head down, bowing where I sat. I asked God to help him, and looking up, I saw him coming forward, holding to the pulpit, he made this confession. I have been guilty of fighting against God. I have been guilty of hating not only Kang Yumun, but Pang Moksa. Pang Moksa is my Korean name. I have never had a greater surprise in my life to think that this man, my associate in the men's association, had been hating me without my knowing it. It seems that 
I I had said something to him one day which gave him offense, and he had not been able to forgive me. So turning to me, he said, can you forgive me? Can you pray for me now? I stood up, and I began to pray, Father, Father, but I got no further. It seemed as if if the roof was lifted from the building and the Spirit of God came down from heaven in a mighty avalanche of power upon us. I fell at Mr. Kim's side and wept and prayed as I had never prayed before. My last glimpse of the audience is photographed indelibly on my brain. Some threw themselves full length upon the floor. Hundreds stood with arms outstretched toward heaven. Every man forgot every other. Each was face to face with God. I can hear it. I can hear yet that fearful sound of hundreds of men pleading with God for life, for mercy. The cry went out over the city till the heathen were in consternation. As soon as we were able, we missionaries gathered to the platform and consulted what shall we do? If we let them go on like this, they will go crazy. Yet we dared not interfere. We had prayed to God for an outpouring of His Spirit, and it had come. What happened here? They weren't drumming up an emotional response, but these missionaries, they prayed for an outpouring of the Spirit through regular means of grace. One man confessed his sin to another, (laughs) sought forgiveness, and and depended upon the Lord, and the Lord moved. The Holy Spirit filled that place. Let's be a church that seeks the Holy, Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, don't just say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with Him. Delight in Him. We're going to end today with some prayer to ask the Spirit to fill each of us, to fill our church, to fill our city with His glory. For some of us, this might be the first time that we've ever done this, the first time we've ever trusted in the Holy Spirit and encountered Him. You can be filled with the Spirit for the first time today through faith in Christ. But most of us just need time and space to pray and seek the Lord. So I want to give us just a little bit of silence, and I want to pray for us. Will you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we want more of you. Holy Spirit, we pray for a fresh outpouring. And God, we confess that though we say we believe in you, we act as though you're not real and we don't need you. Pray this with me, church. Confess to the Lord how you've lived self-sufficiently apart from him. What are you full of, church? Confess it to the Lord. What do you find more joy in than the Lord? What's leaving you empty? Where are you holding on to bitterness? 
instead of loving one another and submitting. Where do you have smug, self-confidence, pride? Spirit, we want to be filled with you. Help us to yield the fruit of a life connected with you. Help us to hear your voice. Give us a desire to desire you. <laughs>